Welcome to the ABA Journal Legal Rebels podcast, where we talk to men and women who are remaking the legal profession, changing the way the law is practiced, and setting standards that will guide us into the future. Stephanie Francis Ward, a senior writer with the ABA Journal. Today I'm speaking with Monica Goyal, a visiting law professor at Canada's Osgoode Hall Law School, and she's also the founder of My Legal Briefcase and Alluvian Law. First, support for this podcast and the following message comes from Thompson Reuters Westlaw Edge. And answer one, their virtual reception service is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week to handle inbound calls, schedule appointments, and even respond to emails. Check them out at answerone.com forward slash podcast for a special offer. Welcome to the show, Monica. Thank you, Stephanie. Uh, it's my pleasure. I've been uh, listening to uh, some of the podcasts, and uh, it's a great honor to be uh, here with you today. Oh, well, thank you so much. So you started your career as an engineer. Can you tell me about your career path and how it, being an engineer, influenced you both to go to law school and what your role in developing platforms along the way, how that's been an influence on you as a work as an attorney and as an entrepreneur, starting businesses focused for lawyers and people who need legal services? Yeah, so <laughs> it's a long story. Um, I have but, time. <laughs> uh, you have time? Good. Um, so, yeah, I, I remember um, when I started at university, um, I actually started in math and then went into engineering, and um, it was kind of an accidental decision. I looked at the job board, and I looked at what, at that time, there was a lot of jobs. I was at this um, very technical school. And so there was a lot of jobs in computers and hardware and software. And so I said, this is where I should be. Um, <laughs> so, you know, 17, 18-year-old self, that was how I made my decision. And I ended up being being an engineer. Mm-hmm. I think that's pretty smart. Yeah. Yeah. So then I, um, when I finished um, engineering, I did computer, electrical computer engineering in undergrad and I graduated into a very hot market. So it was late 90s. So it was like the first internet bubble um, dating myself here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so I got a job fairly quickly when I graduated and um, found myself working um, in the tech industry. And it was a very exciting time um, to be working in tech. And I found that there was um, a lot of opportunities and I found myself quickly kind of uh, working in di- with different startups and uh, different companies. I, I used to design uh, electronic chips, but I kind of felt like something was missing. So I'd always been a very social person, interested in uh, human rights, interested in social issues, interested in history. And um, I went back to school to do my master's at Stanford University and that was when I decided I didn't want to do engineering anymore, <laughs> hmm. uh, ironically. Yeah. So you have a master's in engineering from Stanford, too? Yes. Yeah, I do. Ah, yeah. I see. Yeah, yeah. And um, it was great. I love Stanford. It's a wonderful mm-hmm. uh, university. And 
at that time, and I think it's still the case, it was you're surrounded by all these really accomplished people and and entrepreneurs and people innovating, like, you know, just thinking way ahead of everybody else. So it was a fantastic experience. But I still felt like uh, it wasn't me. And um, I took a few courses that were in law that, you know, some business courses kind of, but as an opportunity to explore. And, and I really enjoyed the law courses. So I said, you know, life is too short. I should be following what I'm really interested in. And that's how I ended up in law. Huh. And can you tell me, how has your engineering background and your work in that field, how has it influenced your decisions in businesses to start in terms of services and products that people want to buy? Yeah, well, when I got called um, to the bar in Ontario, um, before I got called, in, in Ontario we have this thing called articling, um, and it's a requirement that before you get called to the bar that you spend about a year apprenticing or practicing with a um, lawyer who's called to the bar. And so I had practiced in intellectual property and in a fairly big firm. And the thing that I found, you know, fairly quickly, uh, fairly early on, was how different it was from my experience working as an engineer. And... Um, one of the things that I found is like in engineering companies, there's really a ethos about, you know, constant improvement, um, continuous improvement. Um, how do you manage tasks? You know, people really think about that, systematizing, thinking about how, uh, you know, how you do what you're doing on a daily basis and trying to automate and or trying to think about ways to um, make it simpler, you know, make it more efficient. So that was so different when I went into the law firm, and it was uh, mm-hmm. it was a um, you know for me I was thinking this is a source of cost for the client, and I thought this is um, if we can improve some of these processes, how we do stuff in the firm, that 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 could mean less cost for the client and maybe affordable legal services. So I went into law and I was really interested in access to justice. And so when I got called, um, I started my legal briefcase. And and the thought behind that or kind of the impetus about that is that can we rethink how we're doing legal and deliver legal services in a more cost-effective, more um, cost-effective way to the public. And so, for example, my legal briefcase, the first instance of it was a small claims court solution. So the small claims court amount in uh, Ontario was $25,000. So that's pretty high. Like, I think in the in the U.S. that would be, you know, that, that would be considered quite high for small claims. And it is a court where a lot of people were self-representing themselves. So I said, you know, can I develop this solution so people could go to the court, have a little bit more knowledge in doing that, and um, do this in an automated way? So that's that's how we started the My Legal Briefcase and how kind of I ended up combining these two areas in practice. And I have the impression in Canada that a paralegal can represent a party in small claims court. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. It's a um, was a 
a change made not too long ago. It was maybe, it's been maybe five years. And I guess what I find fascinating about that is in the States, sometimes that's discussed and some states are experimenting with it. But it sounds like even if you have a situation where you can have a paralegal instead of an attorney for a lower cost in small claims court, people still, the better choice for them might be software, like my legal briefcase. Am I hearing that correct? And I'm assuming if I am, it has to do with costs. Yes. What I found actually is that a lot of people they will go and they will do it themselves. Even a paralegal can be too expensive for them. Mm. Um, and the system, the, the small claims court, they've done a really good job of making it accessible. So they have, they designed it here so that it's, you know, there's forms. They're meant to be uh, more easily fillable for the general public. So I think that it was already a system that was um, pretty accessible to people. And so even when you have the um, paralegals introduced and they're able to offer the services, it meets a certain need in the market, but there was still a lot of people who feel comfortable enough to do it themselves. I see. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I am going to ask Monica if she thinks that sometimes there's a disconnect between attorneys and the technology that's available to help them practice law. We'll be right back. Is your firm experiencing missed calls, empty voicemail boxes, and potential clients you'll never hear from again? Enter Answer One Virtual Receptionists. They're more than just an answering service. Answer One's available 24-7. They can even schedule appointments, respond to emails, integrate with Clio, and much more. Answer One helps make sure your clients have the experience they deserve. Give them a call at 800-ANSWER-1 or visit them at answerone.com forward slash podcast for a special offer. The Insights from the Edge podcast series brings you the latest legal trends as insight attorneys sit down with industry experts. Stay informed on the latest topics, including our latest episode on the importance of adopting technology early and some of the big milestones in legal technology that change the way legal researchers do their work. Check out this episode and more on The Legal Current from Thomson Reuters. And we're back. I'm Stephanie Francis-Warren, and on today's episode of the ABA Journal's Legal Rebels Trailblazers, I'm speaking with Monica Goyal, a lawyer and an entrepreneur who has a background in engineering. Monica, you were mentioning how people were using software you developed in small claims court before we went to break. And I wanted to ask you about lawyers and the technology that's available in terms of maybe making their tasks easier or perhaps finding a way to cut costs for clients. Do you find that in the practice of law, there's a fair amount of attorneys who are resistant to using some of the products out there that can't save money both for the firms and and clients as well. Short answer is yes. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, and if you develop software, legal tech software, and I I talk to a number of entrepreneurs, and I I hear routinely the same thing that, that lawyers are resistant to adopting new technology. And so that trickles down into the practice of law as well. 
and I I see this as well um, in my own practice. Um, I have a practice, and in my own practice, I've seen this where even young lawyers. So we think young lawyers. They're on Facebook, they're on Twitter, that they're used to using a computer, that they're somehow going to be more willing to try and experiment with new technologies. And I found that that's not the case. And one of the things that I do at the law school is I teach a course about two law students about using digital technology in the practice of law. So I give them ideas about what are the tools that are out there and how they could then implement that in their practices in the future. Ah, I see. And from your career experience, what can lawyers learn from how engineering teams work together on projects? I think a lot. And uh, one of the things, when I was designing the course uh, for Osgoode Hall around using digital technology in the practice of law, I spoke to a number of senior members of the bar um, in big law firms, small law firms, knowledge management, and I asked them, like, what do you think law students um, need to know about technology? And uh, my focus was around technology. But interestingly, a number of people said to me that law students need to understand how to work in a team. And so I'm talking or I'm starting the conversation around technology and a number of people are saying that this is what we see law students need to be able to do. So in the practice of law nowadays, you do have to understand how to work with a number of different people um, effectively. And that is something that engineering teams do really well at. And that is something that law students um, or lawyers could be you know, looking at to see how do they work in those teams? How do they deliver a project? And some of those concepts we're seeing being introduced into the practice of law. So, for example, legal project management. That's a growing area um, that's, you know, arisen in the last, I say, 10 years. So, um, continuous improvement. Those ideas are coming into the practice of law now, too. Okay. And Monica, I wanted to jump back to another engineering background question for you. It's so hard for so many recent law school graduates to find work oftentimes today, but there's also a sense that if you have an engineering background with the degree and practice experience working as an engineer, you might have a lot of great job opportunities and it's it's not as competitive about where you went to law school to find a job. What advice would you have for someone who is working as an engineer and is interested in law school? Mm-hmm. Great question, Stephanie. And I would say, actually, even if you have a real interest in some of the topics that I mentioned, like legal project management or technology or design thinking, or just thinking about how to reinvent the practice and delivery of law, there is opportunity for those students. And so in my classes, I see a number of law students who don't have engineering degrees, who are really interested in the topic and the area. They build up a resume around it, and they're finding opportunities, um, different types of opportunities in 
companies, like there are legal technology companies now who are looking for people who have a domain expertise in law as well as some insight about about thinking about design and technology and stuff. And then also in firms and in-house counsel positions where they're looking for recent graduates with that kind of expertise. So I would say that it's not just limited to people with engineering degrees. I encourage everybody who has an interest and passion in the area to kind of build up the resume and, and take courses and learn about the, um, the new opportunities that are available. All right. And that's everything we have time for today, Monica. Thank you so much for your time. It was wonderful having you as a guest. Thank you so much, Stephanie. I really enjoyed it. And listeners, thank you too for joining us. If you like what you heard today, please rate us an Apple Podcasts. We'll see you next time for another episode of the ABA Journal's Legal Rebels Trailblazer podcast series. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalRebels.com, LegalTalkNetwork.com, subscribe via iTunes and RSS, find both the ABA Journal and Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, or download the free apps from ABA Journal and Legal Talk Network in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.